0: In the first service, when I heard the choir uh, singing the the selections that we had for our worship time today, it uh, it struck me that those are such great uh, tie-ins with the message we're going to be looking at this morning. And so we're continuing in the series called "Ask God Anything." For those of you that weren't here last Sunday, it's a real simple series. It's a little bit out of the out of the ordinary. It's a little bit out of the norm in that you have a say kind of in <laughs> in what I preach. So if you've ever wanted to tell the pastor what to preach, then this is your opportunity to do that because you're able to submit questions that if you could ask God one thing what would that question be and so we've got a lot of questions turned in you can submit those through our website social media there's a lot of different ways that you can do that and a lot of you have responded you've done a great job. And so last Sunday we started off this series and we looked at the whole concept of asking God anything because for some of you that's a stretch, right? For some of you you've never really th- felt comfortable asking God certain questions because you felt like, you know what, I'm just little me and this is the God of the whole universe here that we're talking about and I don't know that I'm comfortable bringing God any certain questions. And so uh one of the th- the, the truths we established last Sunday was that it's fine to bring God our questions. It's fine to ask God anything depending on what our motivation is. Uh, you know we don't want to couch our questions uh as um just kind of a swipe at god or we're taking a swing at god and we just want to phrase it in a question you know it's kind of the proverbial god if you really exist could you create a rock so big that you couldn't move it you know it's just like what's the point of that question that's just taking a swing at god that's just a a, a kind of a passive aggressive way of saying that someone doesn't believe in god in the first place right those kinds of questions we would put in the category of insincere we're not really looking to grow we don't really want an answer we're just wanting to go off on god and we're going to attack his character and his goodness and his love and his fairness and all those kinds of things so those kinds of questions those that's not what we're talking about when we say it's fine to ask god anything but rather what we're looking at are the sincere questions the questions that come from in a lot of ways the depth of our heart or sometimes we're just literally honestly curious and 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 we want to know an answer we we want to know so that we can grow so that we can um have better perspective so that we can make sense of some of the things that we're going through so so, so that we can uh, uh, learn more about who God is so that we can follow him more closely those are the questions that God responds to now understand he doesn't ask every question that we ask he's not obligated to answer every single question some questions that we bring to him he may not give us an answer Kind of like Job, right? And we have to decide, am I gonna trust God because of who he is? Am I gonna trust him because of what I already know about him in this book, right? Or am I gonna trust God only if he gives me the answers that I'm looking for? So our faith has to be deeper than just getting an answer. It's rooted in the person of Jesus. And so sometimes he doesn't always answer and often he doesn't answer the way we want him to but more often than not the questions that we bring to him he's going to answer from scripture they're already in there so we want to be and we want to learn to be a student who can who can feed ourselves off of the bible you don't have to be a scholar we don't have to be you know learn greek and hebrew and those kinds of things The Bible was written for understanding. It was written for us to know who God is and to know his ways and his heart and those kinds of things. Yeah, there's some tough stuff in here, but more often than not, it's easy to understand and easy for us to apply, so we want to become a student of it. So we're unrolling questions as we go. Today, we're going to roll another question out that has really been asked more than any other question already up to this point in the series seven different ways this question was asked and in just a second i'm going to read all seven of those questions real quickly and that's going to be the topic we're going to look at this morning the question that seems to be on a lot of people's hearts and minds not just inside the church but outside the walls of the church as well and so let's go ahead and jump in the first question we'll roll through these fairly quickly again all of these asked anonymously if you submit a question it's going to be anonymous question number one why do bad things happen to good people or why does God allow or make a path that is full of pain and uncertainty for some question number two why does God allow bad things to happen not just to people but to good God-fearing Christians question number three God why did you take my wife from me and my family question number four why would God allow me to have a miscarriage when the Bible says that he knit me together while I was in my mother's womb it's clear that God forms babies I don't understand was my baby not formed correctly question number five why do babies get cancer question number six how do you explain to a non-believer, again, this is a question that many have already formulated an opinion of who God is because they cannot reconcile an answer to this question. Why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people? If God is really loving and if he's really good and if he's really in existence, many are wondering, then why do such bad things happen to good people? They're asking that question outside of a relationship with Jesus. I love this this question. How do I explain to a non-believer? How do I help them to be able to grasp? why bad things happen to good people example children getting cancer death of a loved one etc and then question number seven I think is just it's all of this in a nutshell why do bad things happen to good people it's a question that probably every single person in here has thought maybe you didn't have the courage to ask God that question maybe you didn't think it with the best of motives even but probably every single one of us in some fleeting moment at least have thought this very question, so why do bad things happen to good people? Now, I want to give a disclaimer. I'm going to give two disclaimers in the course of this message, and this is the first one. I think it applies here. And the disclaimer is this, that if if, if I was having a one-to-one conversation with you and we were knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball, and you asked this question, or you asked some version of this question in any of those previous previous questions we just read of those seven, then and, I, and if it ever happens to you, I think the best thing we can do Before we start walking through scripture, is to listen and to empathize and to love and to pray, right? A lot of people, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, a lot of people, when they go through the level of some of the pain that we've just seen reflected in a couple of these questions specifically, they're not quite yet ready not everybody but they're not quite yet ready for a synopsis of how you think the bible answers that question of why bad things happen to good people some people are ready and sometimes the door is open but more often than not what they are looking for is someone to be present someone to love and someone to meet them where they are someone to listen and someone to be there for them just as god does for all of us whenever we go through times of struggle and so I say that as a disclaimer to say that the context of this for me today is that this is a message and these are questions and the whole format of this is that I am dealing with those questions from scripture so if you're one of those who occupies a seat today and your heart breaks because one of those was your question or, or you have wondered this the same yourself you just haven't submitted it please don't think I'm being insensitive by just going to the Bible because the context of all this is that that's what I'm supposed to to do right now is to try to point us to scripture but on a one-to-one level oftentimes the best thing we can do as we wait for that right time is to listen and to pray and to love and to be there and so I just wanted to say that as a disclaimer there'll be another one coming later on in the message so when you look behind the scenes let's just do kind of an, an autopsy if we can to a degree of this question when someone asks this question what is it that they're really feeling? What's going on behind the scenes? What's going on under the surface? Oftentimes what's going on under the surface and behind the scenes when someone asks, why do bad things happen to good people? Is that number one, they're having a sense of deep pain in their lives. You can sense that pain one of the questions that asked uh, about miscarriage and other of the questions that asked about the loss of a spouse that uh, you can you can sense you can feel the pain that's there many times when we ask the question why do bad things happen to good people there is pain that drives that question it's not just because we didn't have any other questions to ask that day it's not just because we you know had a random fleeting thought there's usually a driver to that question for us and many times it's pain it comes from a place of of hurt of, of, of loss and we begin to ask lord i i I go to church and and i and I, I i give and i try to help people and i try to do what's right and i try to live out your word and, and yet this is what i'm feeling and i'm hurting and i don't understand why do these kinds of things happen to people who are good and there's pain that's there and oftentimes on top of that pain or underlying that pain is another emotion that of confusion right again with the questions that were asked there uh, one of the questions about about miscarriage you can see it and, and it's a perfect example of the question's that God welcomely receives right That when we just want understanding and we want clarity and we want perspective God I'm not taking a swing at you Lord I don't doubt your goodness I'm just trying to understand your word says that you form every life in the womb and that they're fearfully and wonderfully made and this was my experience how does all this reconcile it's like it's like Mary asking the angel Gabriel as we looked at last Sunday Lord I'm a virgin and you're telling me I'm going to conceive and have a child I I don't have clarity I don't have understanding I'm just aiming for perspective how is this all going to happen and often when that question is asked, why do these kinds of things happen to good people, whether it's we ourselves or somebody else, it, it's coming from a position of confusion or this doesn't, doesn't seem to match up. And, and, and a third thing is what James Dobson calls the betrayal barrier, where, where we go through these feelings at times where we just feel betrayed. Lord, I thought you were good. Why is this happening in my life? Your word says you're good. This doesn't seem to match up. Lord, this horrible occurrence is happening and, 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 and I don't understand it. It doesn't seem like you, it doesn't seem like you're loving when you're allowing this to come in my life. And, and you may walk through a season of feeling betrayed. It doesn't mean you have been. But there's this feeling of betrayal. And you put all that together when this question is asked why do these things happen to people who are good? there's this pain and there's this confusion the sense of I've been betrayed and there is a lot going on and that might be you today that might be you where you sit that might be you watching online you're trying to reconcile these things I'm going to give you four principles this morning and they're not going to answer every question and it's not going to answer this question completely but four things for us to consider and the first one is this that whenever we go through times like this whenever we go through the dark whenever we go through times of of hardship or challenge when we attempted to ask this question never doubt in the dark what god has already made clear in the light right don't don't let the darkness and this is for all of us don't let the darkness don't don't let that feeling when when you're the one in the hospital bed when you're the one who got the diagnosis when you're the one Who's worked so hard to provide for your family, and, and you got notified by your boss that you've been let go? Don't let those hardships, uh, those times of darkness, cause you to question the things that you never doubted when the light was bright. Right? The, 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 those times when you were in church and you're singing praises and you're opening scripture and you're walking with the Lord and things were going much more smoothly. And you never doubted his goodness, and you never doubted his love, and you never doubted his grace, and you never doubted that he was there. And you you always knew that that he's exactly who he's described himself in Scripture to be. Don't let the darkness rattle and shake and confuse what you knew for certain in the light. I remember 20-plus years ago, probably, I was at a a conference with a, a church that I was serving in. And I heard a pastor in our state uh, who was very well known and, and still is. And I, and I heard him telling the story, a testimony while he was speaking about his, uh, the birth of one of his children in his previous marriage. And he said that um, his wife went in to uh, give birth to their child. And I can't remember if it was their first or second or what have you. But he said, as he was in the waiting room, he, uh, he overheard over the loudspeaker uh, uh, one of those urgent hospital messages, a code or what have you. And he said, I just knew. He said, I just knew. I had a sense that, that she was gone. And he told the story of how he called another Christian brother of his, I believe maybe even another pastor. And, and he said, a, he asked him, he said, just tell me, that everything that i've always known is still true that's from a heart of pain that's from a heart of confusion that's the kind of question that god welcomes and he's not intimidated by and he might not answer in a way that ties the bow on top in this life but he will be there to walk through that season and so when we go through those times where it seems a little dark, where it seems the fog is rolling in, don't doubt in the dark. Don't let the whisper, don't let the enemy whisper in your ear what he said to Eve. Are you sure that God told you not to eat of that fruit? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure he loves you? Are you sure he's for you and not against you? Are you sure he's really here? Are you sure that he's a God who's good? Are you sure? Don't let the enemy plant that in your mind in those days in the dark. Don't doubt the things that you know clearly when the light is the brightest god is good always god is kind always god is loving always psalm chapter 77 i think demonstrates this if you want to turn there with me psalm chapter 77 the psalmist is writing here and uh i left my watch up in the baptistry so um if i preach until about two that's 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 the reason just kidding there's a clock back there so psalm chapter 77 the psalmist is writing here and i think he he kind of emphasizes a little of what we're looking at there not to doubt in the dark what we know for sure in the light listen how he how he expresses this psalm 77 beginning in uh, in verse 7 he asks some hard questions will the lord reject forever and will he never be favorable again has his loving kindness ceased forever has his promise come to an end forever has god forgotten to be gracious or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion that's what's so awesome about the psalms they are gut level honest they get right down to real life where we are verse 10 he says then i said it is my grief that the right hand of the most high has changed the way i interpret this and, and maybe i'm wrong but i think when we read the next verses it seems to say that the only reason he's been doubting these things is because of the grief whatever that is for him that's caused him to doubt in the dark what he knew was true in the light verse 11 he says i shall remember the deeds of the lord surely i'll remember your wonders of old i'll meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds your way O oh god is holy what god is great like our god you are the god who works wonders you have made known your strength among the peoples you have by your power redeemed your people the sons of jacob and joseph selah and that word selah just simply means dwell on this think about this chew on this and so it seems like the psalmist is saying don't doubt in the dark what you know is true in the light so what what is an answer to the question Why do bad things happen to good people? I think to best answer that we have to we have to take a walk back in a garden years ago that's captured in Genesis one through three, and we have to go back to the beginning to best answer that question that at some point in some time probably all of us have answered. Or have asked. In the beginning, God created. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created for six days and he called his creation good. When he stepped back after finishing his creation, after having created mankind, he even looked over and said, It is very good on the seventh day he rested and when his creative work was finished in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two we see this picture of a God who has always existed who has chosen by his will to create all of creation as we know it including mankind and that creation was perfect we can understand and we get the sense in Genesis 1 and 2 that Adam and Eve walked with God and they walked with him consistently. And they walk with him in perfect, unbroken fellowship. And yet what we find was that when God created mankind, he created mankind in such a way to where the option existed for man to make choices on his own. And the reason I think that God did that was because you can't really have a relationship unless the option of free will is present. You can't choose to love. You can't choose to worship God. You can't choose to, to, uh, to have a relationship at all unless the option is on the table to make that choice for yourself. None of us, I think, here would desire to be in a marriage, whether you're married now or one day expect to be. I don't think any of us would desire to be in a relationship where the other person we're married to was only married to us because they were obligated to do it, right? I mean, imagine that first Valentine after you're married how warm and fuzzy that would be you know and, and uh, you're sitting there over dinner and it's like you know i just wanted to say to you i couldn't find couldn't find a card that expressed this but the only reason i'm married to you is because i gotta be right i mean i didn't really choose to be i just have to be i, I mean who wants that right that's not the way relationship works and so god created mankind with this component he he, he set the landscape to where there was the option for mankind to choose Without that option to choose, there is no relationship. There is no love. There is no worship. And it, it had to be that way. If we were going to have relationship, if we were going to have love for God, if we were going to have worship demonstrated towards him. But when he created it, and God knew this, he also created it at great risk. Because when you create man with free will, the free will may drive them, may drive us to reject And that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were given a mandate, so to speak. That's a loaded word now, isn't it? Should have edited that before it came out, I guess, but nothing intended. (laughs) He gave them this directive for them that there was a tree in the middle of the garden not to eat of the fruit. Any other tree? free access but don't eat the fruit of that one tree and it wasn't about the fruit god doesn't tell us why he opted to work that way i think maybe the reason was because god was wanting to remind them visually every single moment of every day that they walked by that tree that that tree was only there by god's design god was creator they were not that God had parameters for their life. God is the one who calls the shots and the tree was a visual and Adam and Eve ate of that tree and when they ate of that tree, they disobeyed God and what happened was God had warned them about this. He warned them in love In the day you eat of that tree, you're gonna die. It was a warning of love that God said, don't do that, that I am God, I call the shots, I set the boundaries and you respond and the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that the enemy came and he cast that doubt. Oh, did God really say, did he really say, did he really say and they ate and they fell and they sinned and what happened immediately was that their relationship with God was broken and they began to die And what happened as well and they would see this ongoing is that their life would be epitomized by brokenness which continues to this very day all the way across this world that we know it that it is a world filled with people who are broken and every one of us have felt that at some place in some way in some form in some fashion we felt that brokenness that comes and and what the bible tells us is that ultimately that sense of brokenness extends not just to people you and me included but it also extends ultimately across God's creation romans chapter 8 you don't have to turn there but just listen romans chapter 8 verse 22 you can read it on the slide behind me it says for we know that the whole great creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now you know what paul's saying there he says this whole world is fallen And for Adam and Eve, what they thought was just a bite out of a piece of fruit ultimately was an act of rebellion that sent reverberations throughout the remainder of history as we know it until Jesus comes. And time is no more. It sent these ripples across every life that would ever come to where we would feel that broken relationship with God and the brokenness that goes with it. And it would extend even to the entire creation. Verse 23, not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul says it's not just us, but creation itself that's why hospitals exist that's why oncology units exist that's why uh orphanages exist that's why uh, uh hurricanes and tornadoes and floods that devastate and that wipe out populations and tsunamis and and murders and the like those things all happen not because god somehow faulted or fell down on the job they happen because of sin and when the bad things that we have to walk through that come, some of which were described, it doesn't mean, hear me on this, it doesn't mean that God looks at you and said, you've sinned so much, I'm just going to make this bad thing happen. to you." No, 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 no. The whole system is stained by sin. The whole system, and God in his sovereignty, yes, he could reach down and he could fix it, but then all of creation would not know, was his way really best or was it not? And he allows it to run its course. He allows sin to run its course. And sometimes he'll put a bubble around us, Psalm 91, and he'll shield and protect us more than you and I realize. I mean, let's be honest. No matter how old you are, if you're still alive, there's some miracle involved in that in this world, you know? I mean, he does shield us and he does protect us, but there are times, there are times whenever the hard edges of life creep in. We've all felt it. Some of you feel it really, really hard right now. It's not because God somehow failed it's because of the outflow of sin in the fourth chapter of this big book in the second generation of mankind we see the first murder Adam and Eve's son Cain would murder his brother Abel you can almost imagine Adam and Eve standing over the lifeless body of their son on the blood stained ground you can almost imagine them standing there not shaking their fist first at Cain but looking at themselves and saying what have we done this is what our sin has brought I want to give a second disclaimer if I can here at this, at this point and the disclaimer is that if you're if you're here or if you're viewing online and, and you are in that place of pain that sorrow that confusion I, I probably wouldn't make this next comment without picking the right time and if if I was the person going through pain and you just rolled that out five minutes in the conversation I probably wouldn't be ready to receive it either so again I'm not being insensitive I'm just trying to look at scripture somewhat comprehensively in answering this whole question of why bad things happen to good people and i think we have to do business with this to some degree and the principle is this that num- principle number two that th- the question of why bad things happen to good people assumes that we're good in the first place see when, when we ask this why do such bad things happen to such good people there is an underlying assumption whether we're asking it about ourselves or whether we're asking it about someone else, there's an underlying assumption that that we're good to the core, kind of who we are, or that that person we're asking it about is good as well. And and I'm not trying to slam anybody. If I am, I'm slamming me first because I fall into this category as well. But I think we, we have to be careful that we don't put God in a box of kind of being that that genie that responds to good stuff with good things and bad stuff to bad things. That's not the way god rolls. remember those little toys where the monkey with the symbols remember that you know you kind of put the money in and the monkey starts playing the symbols and if you don't put money in then he stops you know a lot of times we carry that over to the way god operates that if we keep doing good stuff i'm going to church and i'm reading my bible and i'm helping people and i'm a good co-worker and i'm nice to my neighbors and I'm, I'm not mean to my kids and you know yada 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 and i'm doing all this good stuff god and so here's what i expect you know come on come on let's bring it right let's bring some good stuff because i've been good let's bring some blessing showers a blessing coming into my life check the mailbox where's the big check right to keep all the bad stuff away because that's the way you work, right? God, you're the monkey with the symbol. I keep putting good deeds in and you're supposed to keep putting good, good blessings out, right? That, that, that is not the scriptural view of how God operates. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Or there are times where even, even people who walk closely with God, you see this all through scripture, it's not a surprise to us that those who walk the closest with God sometimes face the greatest amount of pain and suffering. And the biblical picture of goodness is is that without Jesus, none of us are good anyway. I mean, we, we don't really have a right to claim, Lord, why do these bad things happen to me because I'm a good person? L- listen to what Isaiah says. And again, I'm not saying this insensitively. If this was a one to one conversation, I, it would be a while before I go here. Even if I if I ever have the courage to go there at all with somebody. But but looking at it as a message, asking a- answering this question, uh, Isaiah says something really uh helpful for us Isaiah 64 uh down in verse 6 he says for all of us have become like one who is unclean all of us all of our righteous deeds let's just bring the best that we can do to the table they're all like filthy garment all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away so when we ask why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people I think it can be helpful for us to step back and ask i mean what what do i deserve really in and of myself do i deserve better and when we understand that we don't deserve it here's what happens this this is a deep thought but follow me on this when we understand that we don't deserve good it magnifies god's grace even more right it makes it makes his grace shine the brighter and it makes us more grateful Principle number three I think builds on this and it helps us to keep in mind that it's Jesus who chose the greatest suffering. It's Jesus who chose the greatest injustice of all to begin with. He chose it. If there is one person in this world that has a legitimate claim, I'm not saying don't ask the question, uh, but I'm, I'm just trying to put in perspective. If there's one person who has a legitimate claim to ask the question why do bad things happen to good people it's not me and it's not you it's Jesus right when he walked this earth God personified it was God not just personified God in real time is God in the flesh 100% God 100% man and everything that happened to him that, that that equated to pain and suffering he did not deserve he did not deserve at all he lived life in perfection, and when he was crucified, it was perfection on a cross. It was perfection crucified. Peter understood this in Acts chapter 2 when he's speaking at Pentecost, kind of the birth of the, of the, the local church here, Acts chapter 2. Listen to what Peter says. He's describing Jesus, verse 22 and 23. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, right? This was God here amongst us. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. What does that mean? It means Jesus knew what he was getting into, and he came anyway. (laughs) The, the god when he created mankind in the garden of eden he knew what it would cost him before he created adam and eve he knew what it would cost him it's going to cost my son his life and he created us anyway peter says that this man by the predetermined plan the foreknowledge of god you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death and and let's be honest there is a really good chance if any of us had been there that day we'd have been looking for a hammer all right jesus chose the greatest suffering and the greatest injustice of all when we go through those times in our life when we ask lord i've been faithful why do bad things happen to me? Uh, Lord, I look at this person, this friend, this 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 one who's so devoted to you. why do bad things happen to them? Lord, they're such a good person. I think it helps for us to keep in mind that the only one who the only one who is our hope also experienced that level of pain and suffering multiplied and he chose it and he embraced it. 2 Corinthians 5:21 God made him who knew no sin Jesus to become sin on our behalf so that through him we might become the righteousness of God in one very real way when we give our lives to Jesus he takes away all our bad you know baptism shows that Michael was a great demonstration of that in his baptism today for all of us that when we see baptism it reminds us that God takes away all of our sin all of our bad all of our wrong all of our guilt and he replaces it with the righteousness of Jesus himself that you have the righteousness of God given to you planted, on, to, given to your credit as a follower of Jesus and we don't deserve it but God pours out his grace. And in the garden, when he warned Adam and Eve, when he warned them in love, and when they sinned and he judged that sin because he's a God who is just, listen, in grace, he also came. And he took the pain and the suffering that we deserve and he paid for our sin. In fact, to such a degree that if we ever doubt the love of God because we walk through the dark, we can look at the cross and say, I have no doubt that God loves me because of the cross. It's the cross that proves how much he loves us. And if you're one of those today that's asking, God, how could this come in my life? I'm a good person. How could this bad invade my life? I've been faithful to you. Do you not love me? Just remember his evidence of his great love is that Jesus came and all that he accomplished was for you specifically. Which leads us to the final, really the final truth, I think, that helps us to somewhat answer this question. Principle number four, it's because of Jesus It's because of Christ and Christ alone that suffering, listen, it's not going to last, and it's not going to win. It's not going to last, and it's not going to win. Revelation, the next to the last chapter in all of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21 verse three and verse four time that we're waiting on to come he says i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of god is among men he will dwell among them they shall be his people god himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away christian that's your future that no matter how hard the road may be today, and I don't say this insensitively, I don't say this without empathy, hopefully, I say this as a strong statement of reality of what's to come for you, that one day the pain and the suffering and where you feel like perhaps you've been treated unjustly, is one day going to be dealt with ultimately when God wipes away that last tear and he replaces your pain and your suffering with unending joy because of the reign of Jesus, not just in your life today, but through all of eternity. That it's not going to last forever, and at the same time, ultimately, it's not going to win. At Romans eight twenty eight, we hear often, sometimes we allow it to lose the, uh, we allow it to lose its luster, which is so sad. But Romans eight twenty eight, for all things, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Somehow, that pain and that suffering and that struggle that causes us to ask the hard questions, God, how could this happen? to such a good person god is able to move and to mix and to, to to put everything together in a way that only he can where he can work ultimate good and we can't explain how and we don't know how he does it but he does and he's done it for many of you over and over and over and it's a promise that he makes that he will do that for those who know him for those who love him and in the end we're going to win <laughs> and i know for some of you right now the hurt is so deep <clears throat> Maybe you say, I know, Brooks, that's great down there, but what about right here? You know, even as best as I could to take my best shot at it, there's parts of that question that maybe you feel are left hanging because God doesn't always answer every question perfectly for us today. One day it'll all make sense. But perhaps today all we really need to know is that He's good always and that He's kind always and that He's loving always and that he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. And that he's able to take that that is so confusing and evokes so much pain in your life that he's able to work something that only a God of the universe who can create everything we see out of nothing, he takes all of that somehow and he works good out of it in a way that he's promised that he's gonna do. And maybe for you, what you need to just keep in mind is that Jesus, when he said, we're one day gonna face trouble, that, that he also said, but take heart because I've overcome the world and that as we have found comfort in our own walks with God in different ways, that 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that as we come together as fellow believers, that often it's the comfort he's given to us already that we're able to pass on to another. And when all is said and done one day, we're going to praise him, and we're going to worship him unhindered, without pain, without separation, without brokenness. Not because we were good enough to deserve it, but because he's a God of grace. He's a God of grace and he loves you more than you know if you know him don't doubt in the dark what you've always known in the light and if you don't know him man why not right now as an act of your own will just choose to lay down your sin that's already caused so much issue already i'm sure and say jesus would you just take all that away and forgive me and would you take over and he'll do it let's pray if you've never given your life to jesus and today you have a desire to do that it doesn't start by being baptized we don't get baptized to get right we get baptized because we've already come to jesus it's a it's a symbol it's a sign it's a proclamation that we've already surrendered to him if you want to come to jesus we don't clean up our life first he, he's not looking for those that have That have become better at being at being fallen (laughs) he's looking for those who are tired of being fallen and are ready to be rescued if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus you just simply respond by demonstrating your faith and you can do that in a prayer like this by saying Lord Jesus I know that I need you and I know that I've sinned and I don't deserve you and I don't deserve forgiveness But I also believe that you're God and that you came and died for me and rose because you love me and because you want relationship with me. And so today, Jesus, as an act of my will, the best that I can, I turn from my sin. And I ask and invite you to forgive me and to take over my life, to rescue me, to walk with me from this day forward that you'd help me to walk faithfully with you, no matter what. Thank you for saving me today, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I thank you for those that may have prayed that for the first time, knowing there's no magic in those words. But Lord, a demonstration of faith always gathers your attention. And you tell us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And today I trust that there are those that have made that decision for the first time. If so, Lord, give them the courage, Lord, to fill out a connection card today where they sit or online to let us know that we can celebrate with them and that we can, that we can encourage them in the days to come. And God, we thank you that in the midst of a fallen world where sometimes that fallenness invades our lives in ways we would never have wanted, Lord, thank you that it doesn't mean you don't love us. Thank you that it doesn't mean you don't care. Thank you that it doesn't mean that you're not here. Though, Lord, you do care. You are in control. You do love us. And, God, you're going to work out good. And so help us to never let you go. Thank you for the boldness of the seven, Lord, to ask this question. And, Lord, I pray and I hope that through what I've talked about this morning and through the power of your word, that it will help to give perspective to those who hurt, to those who are confused, to those who feel betrayed, to those who struggle, that they won't ever doubt in the dark. Lord, what your word makes clear in the light. We thank you for being that kind of a God for us, a God of grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.